Amos, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Joel, Amos, we're in Amos chapter 1. We covered all of one verse last week. Yippee. Okay. So your outline is there. We're just going to go uh, look a little, a little bit and go from there. This is, uh, we know Amos is one of the 12 of the minor prophets, and not that they're less important, but they're smaller in, in uh, size. Uh, most of them are. Uh, Zechariah is kind of immersed into that, uh, reading the last couple of days. Zechariah is a little bigger. The word of Amos, who was among the herdmen at Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So we have that the Amos is going to come on the scene. He was not looking to become a prophet. He was not looking to start a prophetic ministry or even work for a nonprofit ministry. He, was, he was, actually had an outside job working with sheep and, and pinching the, the figs on the trees and making them ripe, etc. He had those kind of things, but God called him in chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. 15, and the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel, 3, 8. The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? I mean, God told me to do it, so who can but prophesy to obey God? And so he's been called. His background, we see uh, he was raised there in Tekoa, from Tekoa. He lived in Judah, but he really is prophesying against Israel. Remember, they divided by now. There are 12 tribes no more. There are 10 and 2. And so Judah being the 2, Israel being the 12. And he prophesies, tells Israel what God is going to do. You can just imagine now, if we did not have the Bible, you don't have a Bible that we read all the time, we don't really know what God's plan is. If, uh, in Old Testament time, like, so they had to have someone tell them what, you know, <laughs> to get right. You can read the Bible right now, and not have a, you don't have to have a preacher. You read the Bible, and the Holy Spirit can convict you mightily there at home, sitting in your own house. And that's the whole purpose of it. And so, but they didn't have that necessarily at all to read. I mean, only one person got to go into the presence of God one time a year. We are so fortunate. We just went into the presence of God in prayer. I take that for granted far too often that we have that privilege. And uh, what a wonderful privilege it, privilege it is. So, his occupations, we talked about that already, before the great earthquake. And his call, God calls him in verse 1, uh, Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah. Was Uzziah a good king, do you remember? For the most part, Uzziah? Yes. 52 years he reigned. Jeroboam reigned 41 years, so that's a very long time. Only Manasseh reigned 55 years in the Judea, in the king of the Judah. So those are two long-tenured, I think probably Jeroboam II was like the longest-tenured, I'm thinking perhaps, uh, like Ahab was 20, 22, 23 years approximately. So they didn't, often it was a short term, because in Israel especially, one would get on the, for two months, and then his general would kill him, and then the next person come up, like two months later, three months later, that one to kill that one, you can you read it for yourself. It didn't always happen that way, but it happened sometimes. So that is his call, right, to new material, Amos' prophetic concern in verse 2. And he said, the Lord will roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the inhabitants of the shepherds shall mourn and the top of Carmel shall wither. God is going to speak and God will have the last say. He is, it is his world to uh, claim again. 
Uh, he has died for it. He will come back and take it back to himself. And he's telling the people, you need to wake up. So his, prophetic, his major themes are, number one, if you're following the outline, God is conscious of the sins of other nations. He's conscious of their sins, and he goes through Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, and Moab, and Judah, and Israel, conscious of their sins. Can you imagine if a prophet, well, we have those, we have them today. The preachers. We're supposed to get up, and we're supposed to not, not every Sunday, but we're supposed to call the, our country to the Lord. And if it's, if it's a sinful thing, we, need to, we just need to say that's not right with God, and that God doesn't agree with that. And it's, it's still sin. Sin is still sin. We have such a popular mindset today to reinterpret the Scripture so what God didn't really... It isn't interesting how God can change his mind. The Bible was written in the mind of God before it's ever put down by mankind. It doesn't change. God has not changed his mind. He hasn't. Two. Well, the question number six, I'm sorry. How do you think... Uh, so... Amos makes it clear that there was such a thing as national responsibility for sin, also mistreating the poor is so wrong. So I ask our, this question, that's where six comes from. How do you think our country does in helping the poor around the world? Very well. Very well. I was interested to find out per capita, per capita, the most giving nation to other nations in order of most Luxembourg, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and United Kingdom. Per capita, they give more in foreign aid than anybody else. Now, the amount would, then we switch over to U.S., Japan, and Germany would be the number one amount givers, but as far as per people in the country, for how much they give. So Israel was not doing well with that, mistreating the poor. Number two, the second thing is to those whom God reveals his will, he expects more to whom much is given, much is required. And so revelation means responsibility. Revelation means responsibility. You can get by with, uh, it's like that little phrase we use sometimes, of course, I would never do it. It's better to ask forgiveness than permission. You ever heard that at work? <laughs> well, that can get you by maybe one time, but if you do the very same thing again, and it's not, probably not going to fly that time. And so, <laughs> forgiveness hurts. <laughs> yeah, but, that's, but, but the whole idea is, you know, oh, I was supposed to do it that way? Oh, okay. Next time we'll get that. Yes, sir. You can count on me next time. But so that. But, uh, but if you've been told what, how to do it, starting with that next time, then you should do it that way. So he's here's how, here's how you fix it. Here's how you do this. Here's how you get your shotgun to pump to pump out the shells. So now going forward, you should be able to take that safety off and start doing it the right way. Okay. Yes. Got it. Third, on page three, God, uh, not page three, not, but God demands repentance from sin. He demands us to repent. Now, you don't have to necessarily. You don't have to repent from sin, but if you don't repent from sin, there's not going to be the joy of the Lord. He wa- if you want to walk with him, you must repent from sin. Uh, can two walk together except they be agreed? Sounds like that would be a good verse. How about chapter three? Same book, chapter three. Amos chapter three, verse three. Can two, yes, can two walk together except they be agreed? And of course, the answer is no. We can't walk with God unless we are in agreement with what he says about sin and how we're to live our lives and how we're not supposed to live our lives. And so we are to be following God, as you well know, as part of what he has said for us to do. Am I still on the right track? I might have skipped. No, I didn't. Okay, there we go. Uh, number four, four is God dislikes mere outward conformity. 
He requires inward reality. Five, God delights in justice. Six, God can use people with secular backgrounds and training to announce his message. And seven, God will one day bring great blessing. Chapter nine, it's at the end of chapter nine of this uh, book. It's such a wonderful part to end with. And in that day will I raise up the tabernacle 11 of 9 of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof and I will raise up his ruins, etc. And I will build it as in the days of old. What a wonderful thing. I, 15, I will plant them upon their land and they shall no more be pulled out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. What a wonderful ending to the book. So 7, blank is blessing. So there's a couple peculiarities about Amos. He contrasts nicely with the other two 8th century minor prophets, Hosea and Micah. Amos is primarily burdened about the violence going on in his country. Hosea, the unfaithfulness of the people to God. And Micah, about the future blessing of Israel. So the prophets had a little bit different emphasis or a lot of bit different emphasis, all under God's jurisdiction. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. I was listening to a message today and the, and the guy said, I'm a literal interpretationist and I always take the interpretation that brings the most honor to Jesus. I said, what the interpretation that brings the most honor to God, that's what I take. And so we want to honor God. And so Amos wants to honor God by being a prophet for God. The Lord will roar out of Zion, verse 2, and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the inhabitants of the shepherds shall mourn, and the top of Carmel, Carmel, uh, I, Carmel, I think of candy, so I'm going to pronounce it Carmel, uh, shall wither. Three is Amos' prophecy against the nations and the structure of the prophecy starting in verse 3. So Amos now denounced all the other nations around Israel before denouncing his homeland, no doubt the people of Israel heartily agreed with his denunciation around the surrounding areas, but when it comes to us, we don't necessarily want that so much, so they would be happy because everybody else is going to get their comeuppance, if we call it that, if that's a word we're all familiar with. Here is our land of Israel, here's the Sea of Galilee, here's the Dead Sea, here's Jerusalem right here, here's Tekoa down here, T-K-O-A, knockout. TKO, technical knockout. Tako is down there. And so here we have here. There we go. There we go. So there's our story. So we're going to get all these people, this one and this one and this one, and this one, and Moab and Edom and Philistia and Tyre. And we're going to get all these. Oh, yay. Go, go, go. Tell them how bad they are. Go. And then he comes down to Judah and Israel. We're just not quite so excited about that, are we? It's like us. Lord, that person needs that message. I sure hope. Have you ever found yourself saying that? I hope so-and-so's listening because they really need to hear that message. And it's like, it's maybe me that needs to hear the message instead of that person. We're just like, I hope you think he was listening. He wasn't even, they weren't even there. If you're fine, shame on us. If we're, it's, it's, it's not my brother or my sister or my mother or my father or my son or my daughter. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer, not my mother. I won't sing for you tonight. Thank goodness. Number seven question, why are most people eager to talk about how they have been mistreated while saying nothing about how they have mistreated others? Is that natural for the human to do? We're self-serving. Selfish, yes. Well, look at that. What about, no, don't, let's deflect it from me to someone else because I don't really want to look that far. Uh, I was talking to a lady on the phone about our firewall, and she said, I'm going, I need to do a deeper dive on this to find out what your company's doing here. And so 
basically she was not really familiar with what we were doing. So she was, I want to say stalling for time. I don't think she's necessarily stalling for time. She just wanted to look a little further, and she finally found the answer. Sometimes we don't want the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to do a deeper dive on us. We want to keep that surface level so we don't have to confess or change, etc. Maybe I'm speaking for myself. Now, we're going to talk about the, the countries now, starting in verse 3. He's getting ready, he's, he's, uh, he's getting ready to hold court, a pulpit court, and thus saith the Lord. For three transgressions, this happens eight times here in this book. For three transgressions of Damascus and for four. I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. But I will send a fire into the house of Haziel, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. I will break also the bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitant from the plain of Avon, and him that holdeth the scepter from the house of Eden. And the people of Syria shall go into captivity unto Ker, saith the Lord." Probably can be Kier. I'm not how to pronounce it. K I R. So we have. What does this mean? Do you think for three transgressions and for four? For no amount. Three, you deserve it. But when you get, you're just you're going beyond. It's like it's like it's like. Not only did I come in late, I hit, I wrapped my dad's car around the telephone pole. So not only were you late from. You massacred my car. And not only that, you didn't need... So, that's, so three is they're deserving. Four is they're beyond uh, the boundary. Of, it's the, the boundary between God's mercy and God, God's wrath, someone had said. Someone said three was they would have been enough to warrant judgment. Four makes it beyond question. Four is the last straw. So what Wearsby says, not for three or four transgressions, or, or Feinberg says, not for three or four transgressions, but for an incalculable number, as Jeremy said. There's just a lot. So for three transgressions, Damascus, and for four. So Damascus, Syria, I'm going to guesstimate it's over this direction here, it is the oldest singularly, uh, continually inhabited city in the world. Damascus, Syria. Is Syria still a problem for Israel? Yes, there's still a problem for Israel. And so they're going to, this prophecy, Syria. Now, now there is also, there's this. And there is this. This uh, is now, yeah. Mm -hmm. Iraq. And this is now Syria. Okay, I'm sorry, this is still Syria. And so maybe not the same exact borders, but that's still Syria. Syria is still Syria. And so, uh, but this Assyria. Now, Assyria was like the number one. It'd be like ISIS with a huge army. They were like murdering, tyrannical, uh, consuming army hordes that were coming in all over that area. As you well know, that Israel sits smack dab is that a word, smack dab? I don't know where that came from, smack dab. Smack dab. Hill, hillbilly language. Hillbilly language? Anyway, in the middle, between the, the armies, the hordes of the east, Babylon, Assyria, all those others, and down here, who do we have down here? 
way down in the Egypt land, E-G-Y-P-T. So you have, if, you're going, if Egypt's going to attack Assyria, per, uh, Babylon, or Babylon's going to attack Egypt, what do they have to go through? Israel. So it's like the stopping point. It's like the, everybody goes through here to get to anywhere in that area. And that's it's like the breadbasket of the world, all these countries. I think probably Garden of Eden, maybe over here somewhere. And they're, they're going to fight here. They've got to go through Israel. They've got to fight. They've got to go through Israel. They've got Greece up here. They've got to come down through here. And so Israel is just really right in the middle of the line of fire. Things haven't changed much, have they? They still are in the little line of fire. So God says, well, I'm going to judge you for these activities. Uh, Ben-Hadad had a, ten generations of his sons and grandsons sit on the throne. Uh, Josiah defeated Ben-Hadad three times, and it was Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria who wiped, uh, of Assyria who wiped out Syria uh, about 732 B.C. in fulfillment of Amos' prophecy that we should pause for just a moment, and that word and three have threshed, and we should go back to Second uh, Kings 10. Look at Second Kings 10 for just a moment, please. Second Kings 10. Mm-hmm. Second Kings 10. Now remember, these uh, 732 BC, these are the time of the, king, the book of the Kings. So we're talking about the same time frame, base, you know, basic time frames as Mr. Amos is prophesying. And Second Kings chapter 10, verse 32 and 33. In those days, the Lord began to cut Israel short, and Haziel smote them in the coast of Israel, and the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, the Gadites, and the Reubenites, and the Manassites from Aor, which is by the river Arnon, over uh, Gilead and Bashan, etc. And I'm looking for that word I'm looking for. Let's go up to 13, 13 3. He's, he's crushing the army. 13.3, please. 13.3, we find here, it says, Then the anger of the Lord kindled against Israel and was delivered into the hand of Haziel, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, son of Haziel, all their days. And Jehoahaz besought the Lord, the Lord hearkened unto him, for he saw the oppression of Israel because of the king of Syria oppressed them. And they... Let's go up to seven. Neither did he leave the people to Jehoahaz, but fifty horsemen and ten chariots and ten thousand footmen. For the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust by threshing. Never heard of this before, but in that day and age, they would take a, a real heavy board and they would put studs on it with sharp metal or even knives and they would thresh it over the people who were on the ground. And so that's what they would call by threshing someone. Now that might refer to, they did it. Now whether this specifically refers to that or not, it's very possible. Just the way it's worded there in 2 Kings, that would be, wouldn't that be a terrible thing? To have that pulled over you while you were, yes, lying prone, etc. So it's a very terrible thing, but the people of that era did a lot of terrible things to others. We have just witnessed in the last hundred days ago, Terrible things done over in the Middle East. I mean, absolutely, no. That's not even worse than what was done to women, especially and children, a hundred days ago in Israel. So mankind is just the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Ben Franklin said this regarding God. He said, "I've lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. God." 
allows things. We have just finished probably I want to, almost the most quintessential book on who God is and who we're not and how God makes choices and God does things. And when we blame him for that, we, we just we try to put God in our box. You can't do that. We trust his heart. God knows what is best. God has our best. One of the devotions this morning said, showers us with love. Doesn't God shower us with love? You're even breathing air that he's given you. You are alive. You've heard the gospel because he's been giving you the grace to have heard the gospel and respond. You've had, all of us have had, when you say hundreds of times you've been in services and heard the gospel hundreds of times, thousands of times, for me, 10,000 times, a lot of times, to whom much is given though, much is required. If I heard the gospel as much as, we have heard it, all of us, whoever, and we still say no to God, Whoa, to whom I, 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 we're going to be standing before God. I don't want to stand before God having rejected his son. I don't want to, there's a lot of ways I don't want to stand before God anyway, because I, no, we, sh, but we don't want to be ashamed that he's coming either, do we? We want to be in tune with him. And so we will one day stand there, whether you want to or not, whether I want to or not, we're going to give an account of what we have done and what we have not done for his service. Let's continue on, please. Damascus has been uh, told, uh, told what's going to happen to them. And the Lord said, or thus, verse 6, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. And I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour the palaces thereof. And I will cut off the inhabitant from the Ashdod, and him that holdeth the scepter from Ascalon. And I will turn mine hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, saith the Lord. Can you name me some Philistines by name? I can only think of two, but that doesn't mean I can't. Three. Delilah. Goliath. We got more. Achish, Goliath's four brothers. <laughs> one, me, dad, Nadab, me, oh, no, was it? I think one is me, dad, but I can't remember the other ones. M is the M. But so there, but that was a good job. So those are, now, do you, you know where Philistia is, right? You should know. We've heard this every day on the news. Gaza Strip. The five capital cities of the Philistines. I'm going to tax your memory. You just heard several of them. Ashkelon. Goliath of? Yeah. Ekron. Gaza. Who took off the gates of Gaza? Samson. Can you give me that last one? Anybody? Okay. We'll hit four. Is it in here? I can't remember myself. I'm trying to cover myself. myself. I can't remember if the last one is myself. I'm sorry. So these are all the Philistines. So the, Phoenician, so the Philistines have been, weren't they a thorn in the side to Israel all the day until Sir David got them under control? But, but Goliath. And then... The, the, and then Yes, so we have, this is that area. They had actually had taken the Israelites captive and given them over to Edom. So Gaza was the, one of the five principal cities of what nation? Of course, that's the Philistines. They were destroyed in 734. Ashdod. 
That was it. Ashdod is the last one. Do you remember what happened to Ashdod? The king, the, the statue was taken and put into the king, into the, the Lord, uh, into the house of the Lord, or something like that. And it, the first night, it was the hands were off or something, and the next night, the head was off and it was on the ground. So Philistia had captured and given them over to the Edomites, and so that was the Lord judging them for that. Number nine, Tyre, Tyrus. The Lord said unto Tyre, for three transgressions of Tyre, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have delivered up the whole captivity to Edom, and remember not the brotherly covenant, but I will send a fire on the wall of Tyrus, which shall devour the palaces thereof. Think with me in history-wise. Where did Solomon and David get the timber for the temple? Do you remember? Hiram, king of Tyre, right? All, yeah, all that. So the Hiram, king of Tyre, was the one who had control, and they were, had such good friendship with David, remember? And then Solomon came on the scene, they still had a good friendship, it was a brotherly covenant, and then, however, they. No more, no more. And so they, they, they one of, uh, it was one of antiquity's most powerful cities. Do you remember anything about Tyre as a city? You may know the history of Tyre. They were, they were, okay. We want to hear your story. Okay. Uh, you don't want to hear it. Okay. It's, it was off, it was actually out in the sea. So no one could take it until a gentleman named Nebuchadnezzar came through and he, came through with his armies, and he built a land bridge like a, all the way out to the city and destroyed it. Man, he wiped it out so much that all they did, they could now, the Bible says they're going to throw their nets around the rocks to, to, get, the, to get their nets straightened up to throw them out into the water. So he, they thought there were so much until Nebuchadnezzar came through and wiped them off, if you would. Wiped, I'm sorry, Alexander the Great. My bad. I, that's a little later. I'm sorry, it was Alexander three. I wonder why the 323 didn't ring a bell. Alexander the Great did it. Alexander Great, G-R-T. He's the one that did all that. Nebuchadnezzar was a lot earlier than that. We got 586 is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's over here. Later on, Alexander the Great, and they take over Tyre. God announces all of that. Isn't that amazing that like 400 years before it ever happened that God says it's going to happen and it happened just, all these things happen just as God says it. It gives us a lot of confidence that what God says is going to happen in the future will indeed take place. Edom is next, 11. Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will, not, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because he did pursue his brother with the sword and did cast off all pity and his anger did tear perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. But I will send a fire upon Teman, which shall devour the palaces of Basra. That's a name we hear a lot in the news today. So Edom, who, is, who are the Edomites? Pardon? Who was the famous Edomite? Well, who's the first Edomite? Who is the progenitor Jacob and Esau? is the progenitor of the Edomites. So are they going to be for God or against God, typically? Against God. So Israel comes through here, marching, on, marching to the promised land, and the Edomites, would they let them have the water? No, they'll come through our land. And so God remembers that, just talked about it right here. And so they are going to be wiped off as well, cleaned out. Uh, God's going to bring judgment upon them. Uh... I think that's pretty much one. So they had pursued their Israelite brothers with the sword, showing no pity. 
It was Rudyard Kipling who said these words, though the mills of, gr- mills of God grind slowly, yet they grind exceedingly small. If you're going to turn your back to God and do your own thing, it will come up. You will eventually stand before, and he will, ca- and the truth will catch up with you. And so he descended from Esau and Jacob. And there, has, has there been animosity? How long is we talked about this before one time? How long is the animosity between Israel and all the other? It's been a long time coming. I mean, Israel. I mean, East, did Esau get mad at Jacob when he took the birthright? They got friends together though after Jacob returned. Yeah, they had. They went. both went to his funeral. But there, there's been animosity, it seems. I mean, there's so much anger even now against, against Israel. And even in our own country, there's been training, you know, that's that so much like Israel's done so. Have you noticed how, even in the last hundred days, how the story is somewhat shifted from why there's a war? We forget that Israel was minding their own business, doing nothing, and Hamas came in and wiped and just did a, terrible things. And people are now, a hundred days later, well, we've sort of forgotten about that, and we want something new. And so, why are they in the first place? Well, Israel's a terrible country. They had nothing to do. I mean, they're just trying to save their own lives. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, we find, we'll stop right there. I can't go any further, but that's, he pronounces judgment upon these nations. I'm sort of kind of glad that America is not in the Bible right now, because you can imagine if, if Amos was pronouncing judgment upon America about now, what, what we say? Tarshish? All right, let's pray together. Lord, we're just thankful that you are a compassionate, caring God. May we always stay on the side of your mercy and not push into the boundary of your wrath. May we be obedient as individuals, as families. Lord, I pray for our nation. We have been so disobedient. I pray, Lord, we would pray for our nation, that our churches in our area, around, around our country would repent, and the pastors would be telling the truth from your word, and your word would be preeminent, and, and the gospel would go forth, and Lord, we have change from the inside out. And the more people, as it was prayed earlier, would hear the gospel and allow it to change them. And, and we get in church, a Bible-preaching church. And Lord, we can't, we can't hold everybody here. We can hold a lot more than we have. But Lord, everybody can't come to our church just to be people. But Lord, they can go to other Bible-preaching churches. So I pray that they would do that and then we get involved. And Lord, bless our church. We'd be remain faithful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.